Our reality is but a dimension, the uppermost layer in a tower of mirrors. Beneath it are the many reflections cast by our reality, similar but not entirely the same. A staggering number of worlds, lands beneath a dark sun, a world of three moons forsaken by the gods, realms long forgotten, and countless thousands more. You are about to enter one such reflection, a world still recovering from a magical apocalypse, a place where magic is regulated, goblins trade their wares throughout the lands, and the north is dominated by giants. Today, the sun rises over Hymirin and the Wilderin. This is An Acorn's Journey, a DMD story. And now, Chapter 4 of An Acorn's Journey, a DMD story. So the eyes descend down the tunnel, and they're becoming closer and closer to you, Dash. Light them up, and I cast Fairy Fire. There's a saving throw associated with uh, that? If dexterity. Dexterity? Dexterity for creatures, but every object is an automatic uh, outline of deep purple. What do I have to beat? It's just it's dexterity. A, for yeah, them. it's a dex save. Well, whatever your DC is. It just says dex save. It's eight plus your ability modifier uh, plus your... He would have it on his... It should be on his sheet if he... Well, he's a barbarian, oh, okay. so what is his class's saving throw? He casts Druidcraft, which is Druid, which would be Wisdom. Yeah, Fairy Fire is another uh, automatic fairy spell. Yeah, it should be 8 plus your ability modifier plus your... Yeah, proficiency plus your ability modifier. What's your Wisdom? Maybe Dex. No, no. Oh, casting ability. Sorry, yes. yeah. Oh, Intelligence is my casting ability. Oh, okay. So that's a 12. So... Plus... Two um, pluses. Two. 8 plus oh, 2 plus, plus, plus your... Plus 1 plus 2 for my proficiency bonus. 11, total of 11. 11. Okay, creature made its save. Is there a partial effect associated with Um, this spell? Everything that is outlined gives off dim light in a 10-foot sphere. If there are roots hanging down, leaves, that kind of stuff is what I'm hoping to catch with the light. Okay. It should be just enough to, like, see the fight. I will grant you that. So the roots, the hair, the rocks on the walls shed an eerie light and you can make out the outline of what you are certain is a badger coming home it's getting attacked it's now in my home make your attack only a 10 a 10 will hit that's six points damage awaiting slumber as it drags its prey down crikey knight startled to find another creature has taken up residence in his burrow this one has a stabby thing the badger howls and backs up the tunnel it's hissing as it's doing so. It's making a display to look larger and more fearsome than it is. And its resolve weakens, and it backs up the tunnel and disappears. I chase it. You come bursting out into the dark, able to see it flee into the underbrush God as you give chase. That was a good blanket. Long way. This massive, hulking, faceless one. This one is far larger than the other's. By far, it stands almost 10 feet tall. It's even more thickly built. It's got long, gorilla-like arms that reach all the way down to the ground as it walks on all fours, effectively knuckle-walking. It stands on two short, stubby legs and readies its weapons. Your action. I call out, intruder! Look at it. Finally, a challenge. Draw my sword, grab my hand axe, and close. Initiatives? You may attack first. Thank you. That's going to be a 24 and a 16. The 24 hits. 
That's 11 points of damage. The creature seems startled at your speed and the fact that you're not intimidated. It attacks once, twice, both miss. I will close in again. You hear a yell from Longway. He yells, intruder, you are roused from your slumber. Is this more than 30 feet away, the intruder? Yes. My axe doesn't come into effect. Mokui, what do you do? I will get up. I will use primal savagery, grow some claws, and... You're not too certain where it is. You were just awoken with a loud noise. Then I will look for it, where Longway yelled from. It's hard to determine where it came from. Do I see Longway? You do not. He is not in the camp. And a reminder, the fire is banked, which means you take a couple logs and you bury it under the coal and ash so it slowly smolders. So there's always a fire, but you don't. You just get little flames. You don't get the big flames okay. from, from burning wood. That's how you bank a fire. I will listen to see where any noise is coming from. Okay, Madri? Madri also awakens. I think Madri's going to go to the fire and stoking the fire. No, I'm just listening for where rustling's coming from at the moment. Madri stokes the fire, tosses some logs and branches on the fire and starts... Stoking the fire. With a stoke fire, all I could do is unearth the logs that are buried. They usually flare up pretty quickly. He would know this. Yes. Dash, you you hear Longway's voice yelling intruder as you give chase to your badger. An earring. Where's the child? The child is sitting next to Mokui. Awake. Awake. Are either of the two of you going to stay here? I can. That's what you prefer. But Longway may need help. Right. One of us should stay back with the child. I'll protect the child. Thank you. Thank you. I will head off towards where I perceive Longway and whatever it is to be. Longway, I will close an attack once again. Oh, that's horrible. Well, that's a nat 1 and a 14, so I don't think that nat 1's going to hit. The 14 probably won't hit. That is correct. From the camp, you hear a lot of movement in the woods, a lot of rustling, a shuffling of feet, grunts with swings. A deeper, more sinister grunt emitting from that area as well. You can pick up on, on Longway's voice. You know, you've heard him in battle before. You could get a pretty good idea of where in the woods they are. It sounds like there's something large in there with him. Okui? I'll head off into that direction. Madri is staying with the child. Dash? Is dashing towards wherever I am hearing noise coming from those woods. And earring. I am dashing towards the sound with my 60 feet of dark vision. It isn't long before you pick out a large figure and a much smaller one, which you know to be long way, having seen him before. You're closing the distance pretty rapidly. I will draw my longbow and knock an arrow. The creature misses twice again, misjudging your height. You're much smaller, much more nimbler than the creature. His big, brutish swings are easy to get out of the way, though you think if you were to get hit with one of them, it would be a very unpleasant thing to experience. <laughs> Lummox. And I will attack once again. We can do a little better this time. Oh, that's a whole lot better. That's going to be a 21 and a 23. Okay. So the sword is going to do seven points, and the axe is going to do eight points. So it's a total of 15. Does it look like I'm doing any kind of appreciable damage? No appreciable damage just yet, but you have definitely hit your mark. You can feel the flesh give way, and the creature does grunt, which is different from your other experiences with the faceless ones. They're almost soundless. Well, that means it's satisfying. Next round, Earring, Mokui, and Dash arrive to find this large, hulking creature, well over 10 feet tall, almost gorilla-like in shape, 
but with that face of the faceless ones, that skeletal face. But this face is much more expressive, and his eyes glow with a fire. There's a deep red that emits from underneath his ape-like brow. Mokui? I will start casting a spell. I will be casting Moonbeam. Okay. And you will need to make a constitution save, DC 13. That is a fail. For 13 points of damage. A column of light breaks through the canopy, almost as though it's emitted from the very moon itself, from the warrior moon of Hymerin. It's reddish in hue, and it breaks through the canopy, shrouding the creature in this eerie reddish light, and you can smell the flesh and fur or hair burning from this thing as it lets out a shriek. Dash. How far away is this big, huge effing giant? It's pretty effing close. You can easily close on melee distance with it in this round. Dash looks at him. Anybody who looks in his direction notices that blood seems to be pumping and my normal blue complexion is turning into a bright purple. I scream at him, get out of my forest, and I attack in a rage. Are you going into a rage? I think you have to be struck and take damage, no? Nope, it's just a bonus action. You rage. I am running right up, and I am attacking his shin with my short sword. Tell me what a raging fairy barbarian looks like. Bright purple, a little bit of drool coming out of the corner of my mouth, spittle when I yell at him, which I am going to be doing in a nonstop stream of curse words that I will not get into right here just in case someone's child is listening. A vulgar, rabid butterfly. Pretty much. But much more sparkly. (laughs) May attack. 17, 20, 22 while raging. Okay. Is that a natural 20 or a dirty 20? No, that's a dirty. And that's for seven points of damage. Dash bursts through the underbrush, assails the creature's shins and ankles and calves with unbridled ferocity, screaming, spitting, drooling, veins bulging on his neck, one curly one trailing up his forehead as he hacks away. Get out. Earring? Earring is going to, he's got his longbow uh, with an arrow knocked, and he's going to aim directly at that nice bright spot up top where one of his eyes are. As a bonus action, he's going to cast his favorite spell, Zephyr Strike, to give himself advantage. It's a 23. Oh, okay. Roll your damage. Seven points of normal damage, two points of force damage, two points of psychic damage. You loose your arrow and it strikes the creature in the head, right in the side. You can see the arrow protruding. As the arrow impacts, there is a ripple effect that runs through the entire creature's body, and it shudders for a moment, staggers a bit, and then regains its footing, slowly turning its head in your direction. Madri, in the camp, where exactly are you? I am at the fire with um, Acorn, just kind of holding, not holding onto, but... Keeping a close eye on the acorn just to make sure he's not trying to run off into the woods. If he does start to go anywhere, I just redirect him and do that whole twist in the other way. Oh, look at this, and look at this, and pay attention to the fire. Look at the dancing flames. And, uh, yeah, corralling the child. Your camp, as I said before, is set up in an area of some ruins. Not a large area of ruins, but it looks like it was at one time a hamlet or a village or something. The remnants of stone buildings, the most structurally sound stone building being where your party was sleeping for the evening. 
From around a wall comes a hulking form, massive in size, knuckle-walking towards you. You can hear a gurgle coming from it, perhaps a, a happy laugh, a deception that has gone well. Hmm. It stands on two stubby legs and draws a massive great axe. Madri, noticing this creature, shouts, To the camp! He's going to stand in a defensive position in front of the child. The thing slowly lumbers towards you. Glowing red eyes locked on yours. There's a menacing sneer on its face as it passes into the firelight. All right. Uh, Madri is going to attack it. Protect the child. Save the world. It's going to be unarmed strikes. One of them is going to be just a fist. The other one's going to be the unarmed strike. Well, the fist missed. Unarmed strike hits. The fist was a you seven. Roll? And the unarmed strike was a 19 plus five. 24. That one will hit. Roll a d10 to get the 1d5. One. It's going to be, again, acid damage. Four acid damage. Four in total. Yes? Correct. You throw a punch and strike it, but it has absolutely no effect. Your your second attack hits it, and there's a sizzle, smell of burning flesh, and it chuckles. It attacks with its great axe, wielding it with both hands, and does... 16 points of damage. There's a massive sweeping motion. When it strikes you in the front, it takes you up off your feet and back. You barely regain your footing and keep from falling on your back. That hurts. You're up. Again? Yep. Your combat's running separate. Madri looks terrible. All right, he's going to walk up, and uh, he's going to attack again. Does a 15 hit? Yes. Okay. Five damage, and then he's going to use a key point and flurry of blows. Nat 20 and a 15. So the 15 was four points of damage. The nat 20 is, are we rolling twice or double? Yes. No, you roll twice. Max damage. What's your total? The pluses are only adding once. I know. It's 11. 11? 11 points of damage. And then the other five. For a total of... 16. 16. The creature, from the look on its face, expected that that was going to finish you, but then you rally and and come back and land several blows on it, startling it so that it takes a step back before it raises its great axe over its head and in a sweeping motion brings it down towards your head. I tuck my head (laughs) into my shell. (laughs) That's not how that works, is it? No. 18? (laughs) Yes, that hits... And you take 11 points of damage. No! Brother! Do you fall forward or backward? <laughs> the child Quit. is behind you. Forward. Okay. <laughs> Madri is unconscious and dying. You fall forward, you say? I fall forward. Through the crinkling of leaves, you see a set of massive feet with claws at the end of its toes approach you and then everything fades to black. Mokui. I'll keep the moonbeam on that one that I've struck with. So another DC 13. Roll your full damage. 12 points. The beam intensifies and you can see it sizzle with more intensity. Flesh and fur begins to strip away until you begin to see muscle and bone and eventually the creature drops to its knees, falls forward, dead. As that happens, you hear 
Madri shout in distress. We interrupt this podcast of an acorn journey to talk about our sponsor. Are you a veteran DM with more campaign ideas than prep time? Yeah, of course you are. Aren't we all? Does your party have a habit of going to the person or place that you would least expect? If they're like my group, they sure do. What if I were to tell you that I could put a team of professional writers alongside you at your desk to cut down on your campaign prep? What if I were to tell you that you could bring them along with you at your game sessions for when those pesky players go off the rails? Sounds pretty good, huh? With Describe, we could do just that. These narratives vividly describe monsters, places, spells, people, you name it. It's there. And there are more than 6,000 of these easy-to-search-up, copy-and-pastable, beautifully written narratives right at your fingertips. I've been running games for the better part of 40 years, and I must admit, I've gotten a bit lazy. I just don't have the time I used to. And I've been using Terrain, which is minimizing my need for descriptive narratives. Stuff is right out there in front of you. Why describe it? When I was prepping for an Acorns journey, a DMD story, I used Describe quite a bit. When you listen, you can hear it. One of the things I like the most about Describe is that if the narrative doesn't fit perfectly with your encounter, it's easy to modify while still sounding really good. I did that an awful lot. I think this makes the more than 6,000 narratives that they have available for you even more valuable. It almost doubles what you have at your fingertips. You should give it a shot. Describe has graciously provided us with a discount for our listeners. Head on over to describe.com backslash DMD. That's D-S-C-R-Y-B.com backslash DMD. Use the code DMD at checkout to try Describe for two weeks free. Links will be in the show notes. And now, back to an acorn's journey, a DMD story. So I'll use my, my move to start making my way back towards the camp. Dash, long way, earring, you hear the same thing. Madri cries out, seemingly in distress. Double move. Double move. Moving. Dash draws his other short sword, runs forward until he's between the legs of the big giant, puts both short swords above his head, and jumps straight up into his scrotum. You could have said just groin. <laughs> Is that the one that's already fallen dead? Oh, okay. Well, I don't know if you were... <laughs> You were going to commit mayhem on the corpse or not. Yeah. Well, no. Okay. You are allowed a parting scrotum blow if you wish. (laughs) Uh, Can you rephrase that? One one of our comrades (laughs) is in trouble. The child is potentially in trouble. And you're more interested in desecrating this thing's sack. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) You race off to aid your companion while Dash is furiously stabbing the creature in in its genitals. As you burst into camp, you see Madri face first, a pool of blood forming over him. The creature steps over Madri. It's the same kind of creature that you had just slain, only this one has a great axe. It hefts its great axe up over its head as it's looking down on the child. The child is looking up, watching the great axe as it falls. The child doesn't move, it doesn't try to step aside, and the axe falls right alongside the child. It blinks twice. You hear collectively in your minds, Oma. I'm just going to keep running until I get there. You are there. Okay. You are there bearing witness to this. Am I close enough to attack? Yes. As I close in, I look down at Madre. I look up at the creature. The dragon speaks! And I'm going to let out a roar. (laughs) 
My cobalt uh, ability is a draconic roar. This lets out a roar at my enemies within 10 feet of me until the end of my next turn. Me and my allies have advantage on attack rolls against the creature who can hear the roar. I will now attack as well because the draconic roar is a bonus action. Is it a squeaky little Godzilla roar? <clears throat> it is a roar that cannot possibly come out from something as small as myself. It sounds like a draconic roar. A beast many, many times larger than me and echoes for a great distance. So we swing, which is horrible because- Or you roar. Both of those miss. Well, that's actually just, a, well, there's a swing. That's because I have advantage. And that's all I'm gonna do is just swing with the one. But now the roar, yes. does that have a saving throw associated It does with? not. It doesn't do any damage? It does not do any damage. All it does is it stuns them or startles them enough to put them aback because the volume and ferocity of the roar could not possibly come from such a diminutive frame. In doing so, that pause, that startle, is what gives myself as well as my allies advantage on their attacks until my next turn. The roar is such that you can hear birds take flight from the trees in a panic as if fleeing from something. Any other animal that's within a fairly decent distance will as well be startled. Deer that are sleeping will probably bolt through the woods. Things will start crawling up trees to get away from the roar. There is a dragon amongst their midst. They can't see it, but they definitely heard it. Earring? Is the ax still down? The ax is still down. When Longway emitted his roar, the creature turned its head towards the source, which was Longway. Hands still on the handle of his great axe. All right, so I'm going to, as a bonus action, I'm gonna to transform to my feline form. I'm going to drop the bow, grab my battle axe, and I'm going to attempt to run up its arms and do a two-handed overhead swing into its chest. I'll need a successful dexterity check. Could he possibly be using uh, acrobatics? He could be using acrobatics. Advantages on all attack rolls. Attack rolls, not the not the acrobatic roll. Nineteen on acrobatics. Very well done. You now have advantage on your attack with your Adelaide. I'm gonna take the the dirty twenty over the natural one. <laughs> that is a wise choice. <laughs> that is five points of normal damage and two points of psychic damage. You see, earring. Take a step forward. He launches into a run. He transforms into his feline form and nimbly runs up these massive arms that are full of corded muscle and leaps into the air. A back arched battle axe behind him and he swings and slams his battle axe into the shoulder of the creature, which howls in pain. Blood splatters from his wound. It's covering your front and your face. It's streaked across your eyes. You have to blink to get it out. And it drops to one knee and wrenches the great axe free. Am I hanging there or do I drop to the ground? You drop to the ground behind him. <clears throat> okay. How far is it away from the, the fire pit? I know. Um, it's pretty close. Okay, so I'm That's gonna, where the child's I'm standing. going to go to the op, make move to the opposite side of the fire pit. I'm going to cast a thorn whip, try to hit it pull it into the fire. Okay. Natural 20. Oh. Two points from the thorn whip, and then whatever the fire does. Your thorn whip lashes out, wraps around the creature's arm. Thorns bite deep into the creature. Now I'll need opposing strength checks. This automatically pulls. Automatically pulls? Yes. Ten, um, it's a ten, magical effect. Yep. Pulls it 10 feet towards me. Okay. He is yanked 
into the fire pit. It's not a very large fire, but he is yanked into it, off balance, onto his back, laying in the fire. Dash, are you done stabbing the genitals I of your fallen enemy? Kick him one more time on my way to turn around, and then I dash back to the camp. The creature stands and wraps his arm around the thorn whip and starts to draw the thorns. Now, are they in the ground, or are they coming from your hand? It's a, a whip that comes to me, and after the end of my turn, it vanishes. It vanishes. Yes. So he stands, battle axe in hand, or great axe in hand, steps out of the fire, and moves towards long way. Yay. I am going to attack it again. That's going to be a dirty 20 and a 17. Both hit. 17 hit. That's going to be 8 and 8. 16. I am going to action surge to give myself uh, an additional attack. And I'm going to attack with my sword again. That's going to be a 24. That's a hit. That is going to be another 5 points. For a total of... I forgot what I said the first time. 13. I think it was 13. Break out the abacus, Bill. I figured you wrote it down already. Total of 18. How are you going to finish your opponent? As it tries to stand you know, and step out of the fire and move towards me, I'm going to close in, and as I'm swinging my sword, beware the dragon. We do not fall so easily, and we bite exceptionally hard. And I'm going to leap in the air and drive my sword into his chest. Leap into the air, and your sword sinks all the way down to the hilt. Reach up, grab the side of his head, and just go face-to-face with it and ride the body to the ground. Falls back into the fire, wrench your sword from his chest, and walk the remaining length of his body out of the fire. Straight towards Madre. I go up to Madre and cast Cure Wounds on him. You rush to Madre's side. There's a pool of blood forming underneath your companion. You roll him over. There is a massive gash across the front of his shell, and you cast Cure Light Wounds. Cure wounds. Cure wounds. Healing for eight points of damage. Okay. I will do the same. After I cast cure wounds, I'm going to go to the child, pick it up. You get an additional six more. Earring and Mokui drop to their knees by Madri's side, and they both place their hands on the wound and concentrate deeply. Their hands begin to glow, and warmth comes from their bodies. The glow that emanates from their hands begins to spread across the shell of Madri, and the wound slowly begins to disappear. Are you awake? (sighs) Having stepped aside so the healers could do their bit, I'll step forward, extend a hand to help him up, bring him to his feet, look him dead in the eyes, you owe me a silver, and turn and walk away from him. Jerk. (laughs) Is the child even moved? No, the child has remained totally motionless as everything had unfolded, and it is just standing there blinking. I'm going to, you know, check it over and make sure it's not wounded. Not at all. I'll uh, pick it up, put it up on my shoulder, and gather gather what I have in camp because this is, with the amount of blood around, it's probably not sleepable. Well, not only that, there's probably other things coming too, more than likely. As you're gathering up your belongings, Dash bursts into the camp, what? screaming, what? swords at the ready, bloodied. It's all over? Thank you, Dash. We got this one. Where, where, were, where you? were you? Oh, you found dinner. We're not eating that. Don't eat where, that. Where dish. were you? Huh? Where were you? Settling scores. Settling scores. One of our guys is by himself fighting one of these things. The child who has no protection, and you're off settling scores? Yeah, he's in here. They're the enemy. Yeah, and 
They're dead. No, they are now. I'm going to check the perimeter and make sure there's not another. Gather up the camp. Madre, if you'd be kind enough to gather up my belongings and roll my bedroll. Uh, I'm going to take a, a quick breather and then I'll... Well, I figured as game. you're sitting down and resting, you, I, could, you I, could drop that coin you owe me into the into my backpack. And I'm going to step out of camp and start a perimeter search just to make sure there isn't another. Do you want company? No. I will assist Madre. He still has a bloodied sword in his <laughs> hand and he doesn't look happy. <laughs> he's going as if he's hoping there's another one out there. <laughs> you break camp... It's now the sun's starting to come up. You seem satisfied that there's nothing else lurking out there. You return to find camp is all broken down. The fire is out, and your companions are ready to move. Has everyone broke their fast? Dig something out of your pack. Grab something to eat real quick. We're moving in a few moments. Where's our good berries? Oh, hold on one second. I'll go over to my pack. That after Madre hands me, I'll pull out a piece of jerky. Pass out some berries. Madre, uh, while picking up the camp, stops over at both uh, airing and... And Mokwi and says and thanks them individually for, you know, saving his life a little bit. Much appreciated. Thank you for, uh, it was a close one. You have no idea. He walks by a uh, long way and flips a silver into the air. Snatch it out of the air and tuck it into my, my vest pocket. You that, break camp and head off. five in a row, by the way. You head off on your journey to the northeast. By noon, you approach a rise and down below you can see a large Balanasi settlement. There's massive trees, ancient. It's said that these are from the very beginnings of the wilderness. Atop the trees are various houses, scaffoldings and catwalks, grazing sheep and other livestock below. There's Balanasi townsfolk walking about, going on their, their normal daily business and the smell of cooking food and baking bread and the hopes of comfort. Shells and scales, those trees are big. I heard they're big, but those are big. Which way to the tavern? <laughs> I think we'll find one, but let's see what we can do about the child first, maybe. I mean, just one beer. Child first. Yeah, right. You make your way down, greeted with nods and waves and greetings and hellos from the townsfolk. Finally, you may get a good night's rest, and we'll leave it there. Join us next time as the adventure continues on An Acorn's Journey, a DMD story. Thank you to our cast, Frank Whedon, Ben Petrie, Bill Robitaille, Louis Aponte, Sin Morse, and your DM, Scott. A special thanks to you, our listeners. You are why we do this every week. We'll see you next time in the dojo.